Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hello and welcome to the Freelancers Show. This is episode 315, where we'll be talking about late-paying whale clients. Today on our panel, we have Jeremy Green. Hey. And I am Eric Dietrich. And let's get to it. Um, so how about it? <laughs> late-paying whale clients. Um, <sighs> this came from a question that I received. Um, I'd thrown out a poll to a Slack I'm part of about things people might like to see covered. And somebody came and they asked, basically, let's say, I get the sense this is somebody who's newer to freelancing. Let's say that I have a client who pays pretty much all of my bills and they are serially late paying um, the invoices that I send over. Now, I'm not sure exactly how late that is, but let's assume pretty late. Uh, in my experience, I've seen this drag out for months where you're not getting any income. So, um that's kind of, I think, the, the broad premise of the question here and what we'll talk about. You have maybe either just one client or one big client, and they're uh, reticent when it comes to paying the bills, and that hurts. So how do you handle it? Uh, so initial thoughts there? Yeah, that's a really terrible situation to find yourself in. Uh, I've been there in the past, and the you know my biggest most strenuous advice around that is do absolutely everything you can to avoid that situation. Uh, you know, try to get paid up front, try to have agreed upon payment terms for when you send an invoice that they've let you know that they're going to pay within 15 or 30 days or whatever it is. Um, like it's, it's super hard to deal with once it's gotten to that point. So it's really best to try to avoid it. But that being said, I, I'm not sure that the purpose of this episode is advice for avoiding it so much as how do you deal with it if that's where you find yourself. I mean, I think avoiding it is an important thing to cover, but yeah, then there are remediation strategies for uh, when you're in the middle of it and what you can do. Um, I do kind of want to throw it out there that I feel like almost this is a freelancing rite of passage because <laughs> I've also had this happen to me. And um, I kind of think that there's a natural thing that happens. Like when you go freelance, you're first of all, you're probably start out doing things that look more like employment. And if you think of employment through the right lens, it's basically having one whale client, which is your employer. Yep. Um, so right out of the gate, a lot of freelancers kind of get right back into that situation the difference is there's like contract and labor laws that require an employer to pay you. Not, uh, <laughs> not quite the same when you're a freelancer. So yep. all this being said, um, or the, the reason I'm saying all this is if you find that you're in this situation, you are not alone. And it doesn't even mean that you've done anything wrong. It's just super common, I think, for, for something like this to happen. It's unfortunate, but uh, take heart. It does happen to most other people, I think. Yeah, it, it certainly happens all the time. I, you know, I dealt with it early in my agency life. Uh, 
In fact, we had one of these situations that, you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the only reason that our agency went under at the time that it did, but it was certainly a contributing factor having a, a client that we'd done a lot of work for over several months period where they owed us, I think $80,000 that they had not paid. Um, and in fact that I don't believe was ever paid. Um, and uh. you know, that, that certainly contributed to us saying, uh, okay, yeah, this agency thing really isn't working. We should do something different. Uh, so yeah, that's a pretty hefty sum. Um, it, it, it was, and and you know, this came about due to a number of mistakes, uh, not the least of which was the company that owed us this money was the owner of that company was very good friends with my business partner, and so not, you know, not only did we have the payment issues, but there was you know him basically trying to not ruin a friendship by getting increasingly strenuous about, Hey, you guys need to pay us. Uh, and so in some ways, you know, the, that friendship and trying to save that friendship, you know, my business partner at the time kind of made the calculation that that friendship was worth more to him than trying to get paid. You know, I had different thoughts on that cause I wasn't as good friends <laughs> with the owner. Uh, but you know, the, a cautionary tale about mixing uh, business and friends, I guess. <laughs> yeah, how did that friendship hold up with an $80,000 difference of opinion uh, over the long run? Well, I'm not on great terms with my previous business partner, partly as a result of our not seeing eye to eye on that. And uh, as a result of not being in contact with him, I have no idea how his relationship, <laughs> you know, what came of it with the other business owner. Fair enough, yeah. That's a rough one to deal with. I have been yeah. in a similar situation, although the eventual result wasn't non-payment. I can think of one time in particular when I was, well, I had been freelancing for a while, but I had sort of switched gears on some of the stuff I was doing. So I wound up in a situation where I was doing, you know, 10K plus worth of work for this client per month and not doing much else. And I think it was three or four months they didn't pay. In this particular mm. case, what had happened was a very regular paying historically good client had undergone some kind of management restructuring mm. and it came to be that there was a situation where nobody thought they were responsible for signing off on my invoices for a while oh <laughs> uh, it did eventually get straightened out but you know that's quite a cash flow uh, issue and that was the only thing i was doing at the time really yeah so i guess that kind of leads into like if you find yourself in this situation it's three months and you said three invoices or whatever the case may be, and you haven't gotten any payment, what do you do? I think maybe the first thing to figure out is why is it that you're not getting payment? So like in my yep. case that I was just describing, the why of it is annoying, but probably not critical in the sense that they seem to intend to pay me. It was just a bureaucratic snafu. And I think you can I'm trying to think what I did to goose that along. And I think it was just kind of persistence, being polite, but saying, hey, um, you know, uh, you're behind. And I think maybe what eventually really turned the tables was to personalize it a little. And if you're just, you know, freelancing, especially new to it, this can be easy to do to say to a human being that you're dealing with, like, I'm taking money out of my savings account right now. Can you guys, you know, try to help me out here? Um, 
I think that can actually be pretty effective. Yep. Yep. And, you know, sometimes these things happen for entirely innocent reasons and it's not somebody trying to screw you over or anything like that. You know, I had a client not too terribly long ago that uh, they were really just kind of hit and miss on paying invoices. Sometimes, you know, it would be paid the week that I issued the invoice. Other times two or three of them would pile up and then they would all come through. And I, you know, just started kind of asking, you know, what, what's the, what's the issue here? Is there anything that I can do to help ease this process? And what I discovered was that when I first set up the uh, relationship with the client, the only person that I talked to in the entire organization was the CTO. And he just said, yes, send me the invoices. And so what was happening is that the CTO, you know, the email, the emails for these invoices were landing in the CTO's inbox. And for him, they weren't top priority. You know, he has other things going on and forwarding my invoice from his inbox into the inbox of the, uh, you know, accountant just wasn't high on his list. It was an easy thing for him to overlook. Uh, And so then when I realized that that was kind of what was going on, I said, hey, why don't I just send the the invoice to Bob and to you? I'll copy both of you on it, but it'll land right in his inbox at the same time it, and it lands in yours. Uh, and then he can just deal with it and you'll be out of that loop. And the CTO was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Great. That's that's great. I I don't need to be a bottleneck here. Uh, you're doing good work for us. You should get paid every single time you send us an invoice. Let's take me out of that process. Uh, and so that worked, you know, that worked a charm. Uh, after that, it was same day payment on every invoice that I ever sent that client from then on out. Um, wow. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're really good. I mean, they're, you know, their accountant guy was really on the ball and he was the kind of guy that didn't like to have tasks hanging out. So he did it, you know, sometimes within minutes of the automated invoice being sent. Uh, yeah. So that was very nice. Um, you know, that that's the kind of resolution that you hope for. Uh, it's not always going to be that easy, but it might be. So I think that's a great point. Um, I would generalize to say, and this has been my experience over the years, that you, I would say proactively, like, so it, it's entirely true. You may be sending invoices to somebody who is just, you know, not an organized inbox person and they get buried. Um, as a rule of thumb, I think early on in, in dealing with any company, it's good to um, figure out who their accounts payable person or contact point or email account is mm-hmm. and to be aware of that and to, if you can, you know, get in touch with a human there that you can reach out to and ask about invoices. Because if you're dealing with a CTO or the CEO or, or whoever, a lot of times that person, and, and I can see the other side of this uh, running the content agency that I do, we have someone that's the head of finance, and I don't really want to be super involved in invoices. So if, if one of mm-hmm. our subcontractors were to send me an invoice, I would um, dispose of it properly, you know, <laughs> but I have a busy inbox, and but I don't mean that. that this is probably the wrong turn of phrase. I mean, I would do the right thing. I would yeah. forward it. Um, but that could get lost in the shuffle because that's not really my normal business to deal with invoices. Yeah. Um, so if you've got the name of a person in, that handles accounts payable, um, it's often the person you're engaged with probably doesn't really even want to be dealing with invoices for the most part. 
versus accounts payable whose job it is to deal with them. So that's a big one. Um, yep. Another hack I would toss out there is to get to understand how the company does accounts payable. Because I can't speak exhaustively, but there are a few ways that happens. Like Jeremy just mentioned, um, there are some where you've got a person who as soon as an invoice comes in, you know, they, they dispatch payment. Um, some will have an approval process or what have you when they're bigger companies like enterprises. And then you'll get some, I, I think a lot of small to medium-sized companies where they do accounts payable like once a month to vendors just to economize. Yep. So what can happen is if you send your invoice not knowing about any of this on, say, today is the 6th, say you send an invoice the 6th of the month, it might be that they run their accounts payable on the 5th. So even though you've sent an invoice that says net 30, they don't really care too much about that. So what they're going to do is 30 days out, they will run that accounts payable. And if your invoice made it through whatever inbox chain, then you will get paid. If not, and on the 6th of the next month, you say, hey, what happened to this invoice? You might get a response that's something like, oh, sorry, that didn't get forwarded and approved, but don't worry, we'll take care of it next month. Yeah. Yeah. And in those cases, you know, you're there's kind of a distinction to be drawn between uh, a late payment and just a laggy payment. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of essentially the same, but, you know, for some of those organizations, you know, that just have that kind of periodic handling of accounts payable, you know, you'll find that you can get into a, you know, just kind of a routine where you just pretty much expect that, okay, my invoices say net 30, but it's going to be net 60 and, you know, things are just laggy and not necessarily, they're laggy, but predictable and not necessarily, you know, unpredictable and you're just really wondering, are they actually going to pay this invoice or not? Um, and in those, you know, maybe you can just do some budgeting to kind of get yourself set up to account for that lag and know that it's kind of built into the system. That's a good distinction because I think of um, laggy but predictable. It's almost like um, if you have W-2 employment and you have an employer that pays you biweekly versus one that pays you monthly, mm-hmm. once you get over that initial hump of non-payment, then if assuming you're doing ongoing business and sending regular invoices – then it kind of doesn't matter. And there's almost this like benefit in the end where you're going to get a couple of more payments even after you stop (laughs) doing work for them. Um, Setting that aside, there's a question when it comes to any contention over payment of how much of an issue do you want to make of this? And if a company is, as you're putting it, is laggy but predictable, often the answer is you don't really bother to make a stink because the payments are going to come in yeah, it's not ideal that they're paying out 60 days instead of your net 30 or whatever. But at the same time, they're not stiffing you and there's nothing wrong. So, yep. you know, how much you kind of pick your battles. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely want to view that in terms of battle picking very differently than you view, you know, the client who hasn't paid a single invoice for several months. And in those cases, you know, you may want to take a more proactive and dare I say, adversarial approach to it. You really don't want to encourage an adversarial mindset. But, you know, in the one, the one that I was talking about earlier about the client that owed us $80,000, you know, once a few months had gone by and they hadn't paid us yet, you know, I was advocating 
hey, we stop work on their project until they've made some kind of payment. Even if they don't pay everything that they owe us, we should stop work to make it clear that our work for them is contingent upon getting paid. Uh, we didn't actually end up doing that for a number of reasons, not the least of which was my business partner's friendship with the other company owner. Uh, but, you know, I think that can be, it's certainly an option that's open to you, whether or not that's something you want to take, you know, you kind of have to evaluate. Um, but I guess <laughs> based on my experience, I, I, now I think I would lean to lean towards it even earlier than I did at the time, just because, you know, completing the project, putting in more time and more effort and then not getting paid for any of it is in every way worse for you as a freelancer than getting half the project done and then figuring out that you're not going to get paid and then refusing to do the rest of the project until you get paid. You know, the worst case scenario for both of those is you don't get paid anything. And in one of those scenarios, you've done way more work and invested way more time and effort than in the other scenario. Hmm. You know, as I'm thinking about it, there can be an art, I guess, to how you approach this topic. Like I've found psychologically, so you might have, and, and I can't speak to the reason that you're client was opting out to pay, but there are some clients that play games, you know, maybe their cash flow situation isn't great, or maybe there's just somebody in charge that figures, you know, we'll sit on this money and earn interest and mm -hmm. we'll just put vendors off as long as we can. Um, that almost can't help but get somewhat adversarial, but there are like subtle ways that you can make that both less adversarial and play like, I guess, games. Like for instance, um, one of the things that I've found to be powerful is to almost insinuate that their business is in trouble. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. to say like, you know, to insinuate that they're sort of like, you know, like a deadbeat that you'd find in life where yeah. you say something like, look, I, you know, I understand how it goes to have uh, cash flow issues. So if you can't afford you know, to pay the full invoice, maybe we can work out a payment plan for you. That is a nice and perfectly reasonable way of calling them a deadbeat and saying, you know, do you need to make your credit card minimum monthly payments yeah. to get back on your feet? And for some people, you know, that's a pretty bad look for a company. So yeah. I've seen responses where people are like, oh, no, we can, you know, just here, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can use, uh, you know, some people will see that as kind of a dig at their ego and will want to rectify that as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other techniques there. Uh, so another good one for messaging anyway is you want to stop doing work, but it's really adversarial. If you go on two months without getting an invoice, it's really disruptive and adversarial to go to that client and say, we're going to completely hit the brakes on this project until you pay us you can kind of achieve the same thing if instead you say, look, um, we're going to keep doing our best to do work for you, or we, or I, if it's just you. But I do have other clients who are more timely about their bill paying, and it really only makes sense for me to prioritize work on the basis of, you know, who is uh, the most responsive with this sort of thing. So I'll keep going for you as much as I can, but be warned, um, I'm going to start deprioritizing your work until you're able to get current. 
And then you can either keep going or do nothing at your discretion. And then you're kind of creating a situation that flips the tables where now you're setting yourself up to be unreliable and to be a headache for them. You know, hey, I thought you were going to have this thing for us next week. Oh, yeah, but, you know, I got busy. Sorry. You could, you know, rectify that situation by getting current with your payment. Mm -hmm. And you don't actually have to have these other clients. You can just say that. Yep. Yep. And that's kind of, you know, part of uh, knowing your worth and positioning yourself as a prize that, you know, they, they need you. And, you know, I feel like I didn't make that point as clearly as I should have. But So what about, um, and I consider myself, you know, very fortunate in, I have had these types of whale clients get very late on me. But I have never actually found myself in a situation where I wasn't paid. I've always gotten paid and without really resorting to legal action. But like there are legal actions. I mean, you can send people to collections if if you're sure they're not going to pay you. You can, I'm sure, hire a lawyer or sue them. Um, these are not things I have direct experience with. Um, so, Jeremy, in your case, what was the, I guess – eventual like how did it all play out with this 80k client that didn't pay off did it just Um, they just said they weren't gonna pay or how did that go i honestly don't know how what the ultimate resolution of that was it was one of the things that led us to kind of we didn't exactly close down our agency but we stopped taking new work and we had some debt at the time that we needed to pay off um and you know, I was of the opinion that we should just sell the agency and the book of work and everything to somebody who would continue to do maintenance on the site and would pay us something for, for that work and, mm. you know, let us pay out as much as we could on the debt. And then we would just make payments for what was it, whatever was left. This was another source of disagreement between me and my business partner at the time. He uh, was of the opinion that we could just basically refused to do any new work for any of our clients, uh, but continue charging them hosting fees. And like, you know, part of what we had for them was marketing, marketing material maintenance, more or less. Uh, you know, I think he kind of thought that we could stop doing work on those, but still continue to get paid for them. And I didn't think that was going to work. Uh, so basically we, you know, just kind of came to an agreement where, he got to keep the agency and the clients and whatever income he could manage to keep scraping out of them. Uh, mm. And I would pay off a little bit of the debt. Uh, but the basically, the we chopped the ADK in half as if it were going to be a loss for both of us. And then I deducted the my half of it, 40K, off of my half of the debt because I believed that we could still, you know, get paid for that if he were willing to go hard to his friend. Um, and he just wasn't willing to do it. So it basically came that, you know, okay, that I'm not responsible for that half of that non-payment. Now that's all on you and you can handle that however you want. Hmm. Um, so you also didn't wind up getting the experience of collections, lawsuits, no, whatever. No. Yeah. Um, So it's probably hard to get into the specifics of that. Those are options at your disposal. 
Um, you could also, I'm assuming if it's something the client actually needs, you do have some leverage if, if, if it's half done where you just say, I'm not going to work anymore until you pay up. Um, mm-hmm. You probably lose that leverage if you just keep going until you've delivered whatever they need. Yep. Um, so I would say that if you find yourself in this situation, the first thing you had to do is identify your breaking point, if you will. Like, at what point do you draw the line and, and cut bait and say, even at the risk of this relationship, I'm not going to keep uh, getting further into the hole with this work. Yeah. So pick a point there and say enough is enough. Um. And then, you know, maybe the first thing to do is to contact a lawyer. Um, I'm fortunate in that that hasn't happened, but I think maybe it's worth also then um, sort of what you touched on at the beginning of the episode to say why that hasn't happened, because there are certainly things you can do to avoid this situation as opposed to just digging yourself out once you're in it. And I I think we would probably both agree that you really ought to be uh, preventive about this more than in remediation mode. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, this is one of the primary reasons that I think always asking for upfront payment is the way to go. And, you know, I, when I made that change, it felt like it was going to be this huge change that I was going to have to constantly be justifying and that, you know, Oh God, nobody's it nobody's ever going to agree to pay up front. And I found that that just wasn't the case for most clients that I have ever pitched upfront payment to the worst pushback I get is something of the effect, something to the effect of, well, we don't usually do that. Why would we do that for you? And every time that I've had to respond to that, I've found that basically saying, look, I, I want to be doing good work for you and I don't want any of the time that I have allotted to you to be spent by me acting as a collections agency, trying to hunt you guys down to pay an invoice. I want to be able to focus a hundred percent on your project and I can be more efficient in that if you guys pay up front and I don't have to worry about, am I getting paid? And every time that I've used a version of that, People have said, oh, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I think we can make something work. And then they've gone on to, to make something work. Um, but, you know, I, I think I said every time, that's not entirely true. There have been people that have pushed back on that more strenuously. Uh, and that then, you know, that was a thing that I kind of saw as a red flag. And so I thought, well, all right, let's dig a little deeper, try to ask more questions, see if there are other red flags there. And then ended up, finding out that, oh yeah, there's, there's a whole chest full of red flags over there and I'm just not going to do business with this client. Yeah. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, really strongly objecting to, cause, cause that's, um, what you're really asking them to do is put some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. The default model that sort of draws from employment is, um, that you do the work and then once they deem it to be acceptable or what have you, then they, they pay you in arrears. Mm-hmm. And that is entirely like that places every single bit of the risk on the freelancer. So what you're really doing there is saying, hey, let's at least share some of this risk. If not, you take all of the risk um, by with well, 100% upfront. Um, I have structured things. And uh, I should say, by the way, I'm, I'm with Jeremy here. Uh, I can't think of any deals I've done in the last few years where 
I haven't needed uh, all or part of the payment up front, at least. Um, and I've received surprisingly little pushback because I think people ultimately kind of view it as fair that you would split the risk. Like, all right, you know, pay me a quarter of the proposals now and the rest on completion or whatever. Yeah. doesn't seem inherently unfair. Uh, also, if you write proposals and you just unapologetically state that that's how you do things, you'd be amazed at how far that confidence goes. If you kind of come into it seeming almost apologetic or like you're asking for it or it's a reach, uh, people sense that versus if you're like, well, okay, this is how it works. You know, I require this by this date. People usually don't push back at that too much. Yep. I agree. Uh, just being confident in it and making it not sound like an ask, but just a statement of how you work. Uh, that, that definitely goes a long way. Um, Another thing you can do there is um, if you say, I want 50% payment up front or whatever it may be, and they really push back and kick and scream about that, you can say, if you're so inclined and you don't view this as too much of a red flag, well, okay, if you really insist on entirely paying in arrears, we can do that, but the way I price my services assumes the upfront payment, so I actually tack out a you know 30% surcharge for that, so it's going to be more expensive if you want to do that. I think that will probably quiet an awful lot of objections if, if you go that route, because then there's really no reason for them to, to keep fighting if it's going to be more expensive not to pay you up front. Yep. Um, and one thing that I've done on some... You know, I kind of do a mix of by the project pricing and just weekly billing. Uh, and on the project stuff, uh, one thing that I've used very successfully that I picked up from uh, Jonathan Stark is asking, you know, putting in the proposal that I require 50% up front and then I require the remaining 50% in 30 days at X price, whatever it is, $10,000, $12,000. Uh, but then saying, if you're willing to pay 100% up front, that will earn you a 10% discount or a 12% discount. Uh, and people do take advantage of that sometimes because they look at it and say, oh, I, yeah, we can get this thing 10% cheaper just for paying all of it right now. Sure, let's do it. Uh, I've, I've had really good luck with that. Yeah, I like that. I mean, to, so all of this is really about like de-risking. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm thinking too of uh, you want information about like bad payers or bad actors or whatever sooner than later. Um, so asking for more frequent payments, like um, if if you're not getting it up front, um, you send an invoice, it doesn't get paid. You keep working for a month, send another one, it doesn't get paid. Like, if you're worried about a client behaving that way, you can invoice by the week. Um, that might be a little annoying to them, but at least you're getting more data points. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to think of some other things I've done too with clients that are maybe not intractable and late. Um, oh, a good one is to tack on a monthly lateness surcharge. And you can actually structure that in such a way that isn't as adversarial as it seems where if you're using, I don't know if FreshBooks does this, but most like accounting packages will, where you can just like set something up that automatically tacks on a 5% surcharge to the next invoice if the previous one hasn't been paid. And then you just send them that invoice. And when they come back and say, well, what is this? You say, oh, 
uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, sorry about that. That's just a system. You know, create a system and then blame the system. Like that's just what our accounting <laughs> does with late clients. You know, you can even offer to take it off, but it's a nice stark reminder that they're late, and it gives you ammunition again later too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly kind of torn on the late fee idea. Uh, I I know that we had in in our agency had attempted it a couple of times with clients that were bad about paying, and I don't know that it ever. I don't know that we ever had a client actually pay it, and I know that we had several clients that kind of got angry that we had tried to do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, it's not that I can't imagine that it would ever work. It's just I have personally seen it kind of go sideways from where we expected it to to go. And so I'm a little a little more reticent to recommend it. I think I've only ever pulled that out of my arsenal once or twice. And it went okay, I think mainly because it was the blame the system thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't decide to do that. Our accounting software does that. Um, yeah. I don't remember if they paid it or not. I do remember it got things to be more prompt. Yeah, that's good. Um, One thing I actually, I didn't experience this, but with that approach, one thing that just occurred to me I might worry about is you might get clients who say, oh, okay, Um, so paying you late is just a, you know, a slight higher fee. So, So they might almost take that as carte blanche to always pay you really late since, you know, they're doing the right thing by paying your late fees. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. It can be seen as giving them permission to pay late, which really isn't what you're trying to encourage. Yeah, I mean, that might be a way to bring up a conversation. The odds of you getting that money, I don't know how high they are, but, um, you know, it, it can serve too as, I guess, a reminder that they're late. Yeah. You know what else just occurs to me? The the one thing that we haven't touched on in terms of like prevention of this situation, you should probably try to avoid having whale clients. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you have only like one big client for long periods of time, this is always going to be a risk. If you have a lot of smaller clients or you're doing, you know, more fixed duration engagements and series, um, there isn't as much of a risk. You don't have as large a surface area. Uh, of potential problems with any one of them. Yeah. You'd have to have several of them all simultaneously decide not to pay to kind of have the same level of risk that you have with one client that's a whale that isn't great about payment. Um, so on the, the topic of, you know, trying to get paid ahead of time, uh, prepayment, uh, I think it's worth noting that, you know, it, that's going to be a very hard barrier to get over with existing clients. It's going to be real hard to get from them being used to being invoiced in arrears and then paying in arrears and maybe even paying late. It's going to be real hard to switch them over to, okay, now you have to to prepay and I won't do any work until I've been prepaid. Uh, mainly because people are resistant to change and it's hard to get people to to adopt to new patterns once they're set. Uh, so it's going to be a lot easier when you're talking to your next prospect or next potential client to use that opportunity to to change the nature of your relationship with that client, even if you still have the old style relationship with existing clients. 
Yeah, that's true. I, it's not super common that you're going to send a double invoice, one for last month and one for next month, and mm-hmm. and somebody's just going to say, oh, okie dokie. Yeah. If you want to do it with existing clients, I think maybe it's if you've delivered a project and you've got some downtime and they want to re-engage, that's the point Yeah. to negotiate that, especially if they've been late, because then you can say, look, I'd love to help you, but it created a real cash flow problem for me that you were three months late before. So mm-hmm. I'll do it, but I'm I'm going to ask for payment up front this time. Yep. And that's hard to argue with. Yeah, it is. Using a, a new engagement with an existing client is certainly more preferable than if you're, you know, on some sort of staff augmentation contract that's just endless and you're trying to make changes in the middle of that. Uh, there's kind of no signposts to signify that there should be anything different. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know anything else we can tell the the people out there in this unfortunate situation other than that we can both clearly empathize with you. Yeah, I I definitely feel for you. I've been there and it's not fun. Um avoiding it is certainly the best op, you know, the best thing you can do and then next best and not nearly as good as trying to manage it and trying to figure out how you can deal with it. You know, I I definitely would encourage people to look for the structural flaws in whatever the process is and see if there's just ways to get new people involved or new systems involved or something, because, you know, these things definitely do happen just due to oversight. And it's not always malice or negligence. Sometimes it's just people are juggling a lot of balls and they sometimes drop one. Yeah, I think I'd cap it by saying, like, hope is not a strategy. So see if you can figure <laughs> out yeah. why they're late, yeah. um, if it's correctable. And then depending on that, fix a strategy in your head. Like, don't just kind of keep going and hope that it'll eventually work out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you're aware that you're in this bad neighborhood, you definitely want to think of an exit strategy. You want to you know, decide before it gets to the time that you have to pull the plug, what the conditions are for pulling the plug. You know, it's always hard kind of right in the heat of the moment to decide, okay, yeah, I'm done doing work for this client until they pay me. And it's much easier beforehand, once you realize that they are not paying to decide and even to communicate that, hey, look, if I haven't gotten paid by such and such a day, I'm going to have to stop work until you do pay. you know, just easier for yourself to have made that decision beforehand and then to just execute on a business decision that you've already made versus having to make it in real time when you're already stressed and, you know, maybe not thinking about things as clearly as you might want to. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that about uh, wraps it. Shall we move on to picks? Sure. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. 
and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. All right, what do you got for us this week? Uh, so I'm going to recommend a book that I think I've recommended in the past called Rock and Roll with Ember by Belint Erdi. It's a really good intro and really even kind of you know mid-level course on using the Ember JS uh, framework uh, to build single-page web applications. It's been pretty helpful for me lately as I've been working on some new Ember stuff uh, just to have kind of as a reference to remind myself how I'm supposed to do stuff. And then another tool that I've been using along with that is uh, serverless.com, which is a interesting and very useful framework for building applications uh, in AWS Lambda. Cool. Uh, let's see. So for me this week, I rediscovered, uh, I'd written an old blog post um, and happened across it again and rediscovered this tool called Semantic Merge which since I've written it has added more language support than they originally had. Um, and what this tool does is it's a merge tool, but it understands code when it's uh, looking at your diffs. So if you modify a method and then you move that method around in a class, for instance, the tool is smart enough not to show you a gigantic diff. It understands that you took a method, moved it somewhere else, and then made a slight change to it. And it shows you the diff accordingly without all the noise. So that's called mm-hmm. semantic merge, and it's it's a pretty slick tool. Neato. And then the second one, I'll just do a, a plug for our content agency. Hit subscribe. Um, that is technologists. They write blog posts for dev tools companies, SaaS dev training companies. So writing how to um, software blog posts for pay. Um, if you are interested in potentially writing for us, I will uh, include a link. Cool. Awesome. That's it for this week. Tune in next time. Take care, everybody, and thanks. See you next time, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.